Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting on WFMP-LP Louisville. That is 106.5 FM. And you can find a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. Folks, it just so happens that uh, we're... Uh, coming up on our uh, second annual pledge drive, that's which which is uh, March 27th to April 9th, and so we're hoping that if you like what you hear on our station, be willing uh, to contribute, whether it's a, a few cents or a few dollars. Uh, if you want to contribute, you can go to forwardradio.org. Uh, we do need to raise about five thousand dollars to to, uh, to to meet our goal for this pledge drive. Uh, uh, so, uh, and every dollar you know you pledge helps us to get there. You might want to consider becoming a, a sustaining member at five dollars or ten dollars a month. Right? Choose whatever is right for you at the PayPal link at the bottom of our home page. Right? Your account will be automatically charged. You know, each month. Pretty easy. Pretty painless. Right? Just for uh, your information, it costs about $20 a day to operate the station. And of course, we're all volunteers. Nobody here gets paid, so we just do it for the love of uh, radio. So uh, if you'd like to donate, just go to forwardradio.org, uh, and there's various ways to go about doing that. So, folks, we've got a, a great show for you here today. We've got uh, Professor Tom Lambert, uh, University of Louisville, uh, teaches economics, has been teaching economics for, for, for many years now. Uh, welcome, Professor Lambert. Pleasure to be here, Gay. Pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Tom, well, there's, got a, there's a lot going on in sort of the, the economic realm. Uh, President Biden's stimulus uh, just passed, was it $1.9 trillion or $1.7 trillion? Uh, it's a big number like that. And then uh, it's got money for the state and local go governments in it. And uh, so uh, uh, really, it's, uh, it seems like a tremendous success for the Biden administration uh, so, uh, so far. I mean, just, to get, just getting the pass. So what, what are people talking about uh, the, 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 the stimulus uh, rescue, however you want to call it? I think he might be calling it a rescue. So. checks um, to follow up on the $600 checks and as you know the, after the $600 checks were passed or whatever amount it was it was under a thousand but uh, Trump and some other folks said well it should be more like 2,000 I think he kind of surprised people as you know when he said that And but what was done was done and then of course um, to make up the difference this was, was just enacted I think that's the biggest thing, of course, there there was the disappointment among many people of not getting uh, the fifteen dollar uh, minimum wage hike, which was declared um, something that they could not do uh, regarding a a spending bill that had to be different. But they were hoping for a boost from that. But uh, there's an old saying from macroeconomics, or there's an old rule called Oaken's rule. Some people still believe it, some don't. But for every 2% increase uh, you have in real GDP, the unemployment rate goes down 1%. So 
this should help lower unemployment from around, hopefully, or that's one of the intended effects from the current 7% and get it down closer to a more um, or a better rate of, of uh, 4 or 5%. And I think this will go a long way toward toward doing that. My own feeling last year when they decided to spend $2 trillion was that it was only half the amount that was needed, given that some were saying that unemployment had skyrocketed all the way. This was during the entire shutdown, of course. But unemployment had skyrocketed all the way up to um, 20%. Um, but uh, now they're making up for that somewhat, even though the, the quarantine is long over with. But I just wonder what would have happened had they just gone ahead and spent that $4 trillion. But... Um, that's that's too, it's too late now <laughs> to wonder about that. So, Tom, uh, some people are upset because uh, the minimum wage increase didn't make it through. That is, uh, there was a claim, well, a claim that is uh, uh, the Senate parliamentarian said that the minimum wage could not be a part of the reconciliation uh how much does it hurt, or does it, that the minimum wage increase wasn't a part of the, the rescue? Well, I, I think that's something that they can still come back to. It seems like ever since the 1980s, we only come back and look at the minimum wage and, and its um, level, how much purchasing power it has almost every, just every 10 years. It used to be more frequent than that. Um, but Congress, I, I guess, and I'm not an expert on this, can't really put it in as far as a, um, into a spending bill. It has more to do with a interstate commerce regulation. Um, I think they'll eventually come back to it. Now, whether they go for $15 an hour is another question. Um, and who knows, I think, among some of these folks, that may be a bargaining tool. But it would definitely help... Uh, uh, bring in, bring about probably a million people out of poverty. Uh, the wage boost would, if you did make it fifteen, if you didn't make it, if you made it ten dollars an hour, that wouldn't hurt. Um, of course, there is some evidence that although a lot of people won't lose their jobs, probably hardly any at all, if any, it does kind of slow down the hiring process when you boost the minimum wage. Of course, that's offset with the extra spending that uh, the wage earners now have thanks to the increase as well as their peers who are making close to the minimum wage because if someone's wage goes up from seven to let's say fifteen dollars an hour due to a change in the law then someone who was making sixteen dollars an hour in the same establishment same establishment would now expect more money so the employer would probably want to give that person a raise as well in order to retain them. Usually it has, um, uh, I guess you could say, an upward effect. It boosts all wages above the minimum wage. And that's why the labor unions always argued for increasing the minimum wage in the past, even though most of their members didn't make the minimum wage. Um, so it, it has pros and cons. The pros usually outweigh the cons, though. My guess is they'll probably do something, and this has nothing to do with economics, probably, it, well, it has more to do with politics, 
they're probably making something like $10 an hour, which would help. It, it wouldn't hurt. Not as good as 15 but $10 wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. And a lot of places are already paying $10, $11 an hour anyway for entry-level workers, particularly the bigger corporations. So I saw, uh, it seems to be the key guy up there now is Joe Manchin, a senator from West Virginia. And he said in the discussion where all this was going on, uh, he said maybe 11. So, of course, I wasn't in the mix, uh, but I would have told, uh, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer and, uh, and uh, John Yarmer. So I said, look, if Joe will take 11, do it. Uh, <laughs> that's what he said. That's what Joe Manchin said. I'm just, I heard him say it on television. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, some boost is better than zero. I think when you factor in the cost of living, particularly when you look at it, how long it's been since the last time the minimum wage was, was, was raised in 2008, 2009, maybe 2010. I can't remember if it was done over two or three years. And it went from between five and six dollars an hour to over seven, where it is now. Um, that would be um, a nice boost, although fifteen would take into consideration the inflation we've had, um, the the price increases we've had over the last, you know, eleven to twelve years. So that's where this fifteen dollars an hour comes from. Plus, the reluctance of Congress to only revisit the minimum wage level you know, once every 10 years or so. But 11 would, would not be bad. That would be if someone worked full-time year-round, uh, you know, 22000 a year versus 15000 which is what seven twenty-five, seven fifty would earn. Um, so, yeah, that would be a nice, nice increase. Not as good as 15 uh, Would Would not... You know, make th- make employers think twice as much of hiring people versus fifteen an hour. So that's probably what he's, um, what Manchin and the other critics of the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage are, what uh, what they're considering. I think. Well, it could be that, as I understand it, the minimum wage is supposed to be revisited more more frequently, yes. and it's supposed to match up to productivity. I mean, I've heard arguments that actually to match up to productivity increases that should be higher than 15. And so I've heard those arguments as well, but I'm just speaking that politically it, uh, speaking, uh, you could take the 11 if, if you know, if uh, that Joe was willing to go along with, take that today and get uh, a few more dollars tomorrow, so to speak. Uh, if you could get a few more, a little bit more flexible Democrats in there, uh, uh, a couple more Democrats in the Senate, uh, um, uh, and more flexible than Joe. Then a few years later, that maybe you could get it up to uh, uh, fifteen as time goes along. But you don't know. Uh, uh, so, uh, so there's that, and so, uh, so I've, uh, so we've been told there. There's some people who should be getting. Uh, checks in their bank account, uh, you know, this weekend. Uh, yes. uh, and so that would be a great thing for a lot of folk, uh, really help a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, uh, and this is just a question. I mean, uh, 
on the unemployment situation, not only in Kentucky, but all across the country. So I've heard governors, even governors stand on national television, including our own, and say, hey, unemployment systems were sort of made to deny people. They were structured that way even before the pandemic. I've, I've heard our governor say it, uh, Bashir, and I've heard the, even the governor of Florida say it. And so that being the case with the influx of people and the rise in demand for unemployment, the systems just crashed. And that's why there's so many people that that didn't get their unemployment benefits. And uh, uh, But how much has that hurt people? I mean, there are a lot of people that seem to me that have really been hurt by the failure of unemployment systems all, uh, all across the country. That's a, a terrible blow because that spending that they would ordinarily have that's not going into the economy, uh, helping to keep things relatively depressed, uh, the stimulus checks only make up a fraction of that. So the fact that you know, we, we have these arcane unemployment systems, and then I think there are still some regulations that um, if someone's unemployed and if they want to go back to school, um, there are restrictions on that. Of course, you know, a lot of people, while they're unemployed and looking for a job, they'll go back to school in the hopes of getting better, more and better skills so that they can find a job faster. <laughs> Yet, the unemployment system in different states often frustrate that. I mean, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember when if you were drawing unemployment, you weren't supposed to go to school at all. Now I think they permit it, but there are restrictions, which I still don't um, find that, that that makes much sense, particularly if you're going to limit unemployment benefits, usually in six months anyway. But um, that has a, that's a big blow as far as the spending, and the stimulus checks only make up um, make up a portion of that. Um, I, I, I think uh, same for the, the help for the landlords and the tenants. That's, that's helpful, but if, if you had the unemployment uh, benefits working correctly and, and not being held up, um, we, would, we would have seen a bigger boost to the, to the economy by now. Um, and getting back to your point about the minimum wage, I think uh, the average earnings for, for people working now is 46000 maybe $48,000 a year. Of course, that's, that's skewed a little bit. The median may be less. That may be more like forty, what have you. But one of the original goals of the minimum wage was to have a minimum wage that was about 50% of the average hourly wage out there. At least that's what I've always been told. I, may, I can maybe check this later. But uh, when it was originally set up, it was only back in the 1930s, I think it was something like 25 cents an hour. And the average hourly wage was like 50 cents an hour. So it was roughly half. Well, if you say that 48000 or let's just say 46 is the average hourly wage now, or yearly earnings now based for hourly workers, 46000 a year, let's just say that. Half of that would be 23 and that would be a minimum wage of, of about 11 or $12 an hour probably. It, could maybe be higher if it's forty-eight thousand, then that would be more like, um, uh, let's see, half would be twenty-four. Yeah, twelve dollars. 
So that's, you know, one reason why they're trying to shoot for more than $10, and it's close to $15 an hour. Um, because of the original goal of the minimum wage was supposed to be 50% of average hourly national earnings. But um, the unemployment situation, that is just, uh, of course, as Bashir said, the original system here in Kentucky was based upon programming that was set up in COBOL, which is archaic now, a programming language that's long gone by the ways. <laughs> And, uh, and, 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 and he has informed us that uh, the last governor before him, Bevan, uh, shrunk what was there. So not only had the archaic computer system, but personnel and, and the ability of that department to function was shrunk and eviscerated under the last governor, uh, Matthew Bevan. Just as a personal comment, uh, First, Kentucky's unemployment system. I applied for uh, unemployment twice in my life here in Kentucky. First time denied. I had no comprehension of the system. The second time, this is years ago, back in the OOs, I felt sure that I was qualified. And so I applied. Uh, uh, I was accepted. And then the employer objected. And then I was denied. But I was sure I was qualified. This is back in the OOs. So what I did was... You know, I, I appealed, and the system set up a phone kind of tribunal where I represented myself. And so you had the employer and me plus a panel of judges all over the phone now, uh, and I won. So, And so that even... I'm talking, this is back in the OOs. When I say somewhere between 2000 and 2010, that's what I call the OOs, right? Uh, and uh, so as archaic as it was, when you had people to make it work, uh, that is when you could go in the sixth and cedar, I think a lot would made it fail. You couldn't actually go into the unemployment offices. And so, but the, the hearing that they did with me was over the phone. And, uh, you know, I don't have a law degree or a business degree, but uh, I just represented myself from I had done research, though, uh, uh, about, you know, unemployment. So I had some facts at hand. You know, I was prepared to represent myself, but it worked. And so it just seems to me that uh, Governor Bevan plus the the huge demand for unemployment, plus uh, the archaic computer system, all sort of work together to, to create a disaster uh, that really hurt a lot of people. I, from what I've always heard, I may be wrong, uh, employers, for whatever reason, maybe they're encouraged to do this by... Um, Frankfurt or what have you, uh, automatically say no um, to to providing the benefits. Um, so, uh, of course, also, as you were just saying, everyone I've ever known has been successful in appealing that. Or you fill out the paperwork the second time and the employer never responds. But apparently it's automatic or encouraged uh, here in Kentucky, maybe elsewhere, to tell the employer to automatically object and then, you know, hear what um, the former employee says. At least that's 
that's what I've always heard through the years. I'm not sure about that. Um, maybe if there's a lawyer out there who knows, um, get in touch with one of us, <laughs> but uh, or someone who works in the Department of Unemployment. But that's that's always been um, something that uh, has been said here in Kentucky. Well, uh, so uh, so there you go. Uh, so. Folks, I do want to remind you all that we are uh, coming up on our uh, second annual pledge drive. That's from March 27th to April 9th. And so if you like what you're hearing, you think you're getting some valuable information, if you think our, our guests are pretty interesting, you think our shows are valuable, don't be afraid to take a couple dollars out of your pocket. You can go to uh, forwardradio.org and donate uh, a dollar or two. We need uh, 5000 to meet our goal for the pledge drive. Uh, and uh, uh, you can become a sustaining member, $5, $10 a month. Uh, there's a, a PayPal link at the bottom of our home page. It costs about $20 a day to operate this, this station. So if you want to sponsor a full day of programming, that would be $20. So... Uh, you know, some of these movies now, if you pay full price at, at the movie, uh, it's like $10 for a movie ticket. So if you're taking a date, that's, uh, that's, 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 20, that's your $20 right there. So if you think uh, we're uh, at least as valuable as uh, uh, going to the movies, uh, uh, don't be afraid to take $20 out of your pocket. And you can go to forwardradio.org uh, and give what you can give. So, folks, we're, we're very lucky to be here with uh, uh, with Tom Lambert, professor at the University of Louisville, talking about uh, e economics and the rescue plan and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so, uh, Tom, the uh, state of Kentucky is supposed to get about $2, $2 billion out of this rescue plan. You think that'll help us? I think it will. And as you know, your listeners have probably seen in the paper that uh, it, it affects the state budget, and now they're going to have to go back and revisit things because they're going to have more money, fortunately, than what they had originally thought. Um, so I think, I think it helps. Uh, of course, some of that, uh, I believe, is going to be earmarked for uh, COVID relief, um, you know, making sure everyone gets the shots, helping to pay for that. Um, so as well as, if, if I remember correctly, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, help to um, uh, local governments and, and local schools as far as getting back into the swing of things and paying for any COVID-related expenses. Um, so I, I think that, that definitely helps and probably helps make, make up uh, for any shortfalls due, due, to, due to the economy being down. Um, so uh, also, if, if, if I remember correctly, some expansion for health care also, uh, this is not so much state and, state and local, but uh, expanded uh, child tax care credit, uh, which hopefully will become permanent if, it's, if they're not, you know, I think the plan is to make it permanent, if not already expanded and make it permanent. So all those will, will definitely help. Um, but, uh, yes, it, it does change the complexion of things, and Frankfurt probably won't be as trapped as what they originally thought, although some of it is earmarked, I realize. Now, also, one of the things that they did during the session, uh, 
uh, bill turned out to be bipartisan was a bill that affected uh, the horse racing industry. Uh, they saved the uh, simulated racing or, or, or some people call them slot machines, but, uh, 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 but uh, whatever you want to call it, it was a bill passed to, 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 help, uh, to help, help the racetrack. So can you comment on that? Um, and let me go back just for a second. The, the spending by Frankfurt, you, if you want, you could also say, well, that has an impact to actually double, perhaps double the amount of money we're being given. So because once that money is spent and then ripples through the economy, the ultimate impact may be twice. Uh, because the school boards, the local governments, Frankfurt, uh, with whomever they send the money, those folks will turn around and spend it elsewhere. So, with the getting back to the um, historical horse racing machines, um, that was crucial uh, because about half of the excise taxes on paramutual wagering in the state of Kentucky come from those machines, which are not actual races, but uh, they're based upon races that have occurred in the past. So you can still say it's somewhat horse racing, even though it looks like a Vegas slot machines. And uh, like Derby City Gaming here in Louisville, which is owned by Churchill Downs, money from that is used to help, um, help fund the purses of uh, some races. It's, it's part of Churchill Downs. Uh, they have diversified into casinos and other racetracks throughout the United States. So the revenue from that amounts to a couple of million dollars a year, which has a profound impact on, on the horse racing industry, which, you know, last year, um, if you, you know, if you look at the news and like I have and done some estimates, Churchill Downs alone lost $120 million because of what happened with the Derby and, not as many fans being permitted to come in as in the past. And then I estimated for two months last year that everything was completely shut down. This is just two months that horse racing and all of the industries that helped to support it, uh, the farms, um, equipment makers, etc., probably lost about I mean, when you consider the spin-off effects, lost about $400 million in just a couple of months' time because of everything being closed down, no wagering being permitted. Um, so, um, you know, having an historical horse racing made legal, fully legal, uh, because there was some question about it because of the Supreme Court ruling uh, last year or maybe two years ago, uh, as well as getting the, the, the racetracks back open um, uh, has helped the state quite a bit, although it's, you know, that's pretty much the same across the board for sports, um, getting the attendance back and getting the fans back in, in the seats. So um, as we get closer to normal, you know, we're going to see the economy, hopefully the unemployment rate get back to where it was by the end of the year or to a normal by the end of the year. The only thing I guess to fear is possibly inflation, but we were so slack and things were, were so low that I don't think that that's uh, a legitimate fear, really. So, no. folks, uh, 
Folks, we've been here with uh, Tom Lambert, professor of the University of Louisville. Uh, Tom, we want to thank you for being here with us on our show. Uh, and really, I think you've really done a lot to sort of uh, uh, educate people with uh, economic uh, current events. Uh, just to, uh, don't be, I want people uh, to remember that we are in our pledge drive and, uh, uh, and that if you want to support this station, uh, go to forwardradio.org and uh, give a dollar, 10, 15, 20, uh, whatever you feel comfortable with to, if you like the programming. I'm K.A. Owens, and this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and we will be back next week. Thank you so much.